It's the unofficial beginning of summer in America, and travel is bouncing back. Memorial Day weekend. 15 months since the coronavirus shut down the country, Americans are packing into planes and cars and, yes, even trains. And the politician most enamored with train travel, Joe Biden, who commuted to Washington on Amtrak for decades from his home in Delaware, is in the White House now. He's proposing $80 billion to address long-standing maintenance issues, to improve service on the heavily traveled corridor between Boston, New York, and Washington, and to connect new cities. Things are looking up for America's long-beleaguered railway. But the pandemic hurt. Ridership on Amtrak was still down more than half, according to the most recent statistics covering March. It survived thanks to billions in relief from the federal government. Is the future of Amtrak one of mere survival, a third or fourth fiddle in the nation's travel system behind cars, planes, and buses? Or might Biden bring a new era where American rail competes with the fast, classy systems in Europe and Asia? First, a report from our Thomas McKinless. Good morning, everybody. It's Tom Carper on a train. That's Delaware Senator Tom Carper, a Democrat, remotely gaveling in a committee hearing back in March from an Amtrak train. On a train because of my friend Joe Biden. President Joe Biden was in Wilmington for a St. Patrick's Day celebration that morning, and the city was so clogged with traffic that Carper missed his usual train to D.C. I end up on the next train, and I'm joining you uh, remotely. But I've never done this before, so we'll see how it, uh, how it works out. If I'm jumping around, it's because the train is jumping around. I'm not jittery, it's just the train. Carper gave his opening statement, and the hearing got on its way. About a half an hour later, his train arrived at Union Station a few blocks from the Capitol, and Carper finally made it into the hearing room in person. So, uh, welcome back in the flesh, Mr. Chairman. Um, and we appreciated your remarks while you were still on the train. When God closes a door, he opens a window. And in this case, the window was a Zoom, and it actually works on a train, which I had no idea. So I can just stop coming to hearings. We'll just do it on a train. Carper heads the Senate Environment and Public Works Committee, which oversees the highway portion of Congress's embattled infrastructure package. But the senator is also a big proponent of rail, and he's optimistic that Amtrak will benefit from Biden's big infrastructure push. And he's not the only one. I think Amtrak is the nation's railroad that will lead us into a future of interconnected passenger rail that may be Amtrak, maybe other providers as well. I'm here with the former mayor of Meridian, Mississippi, Mayor John Robert Smith. We're on the top of his apartment building, Senate Square Apartments in Northeast DC, overlooking Union Station. You know, one thing I like about passenger rail, especially if you're spending some time on, on a train, if you're on a train and you're in the diner, you're going to talk to everyone around you. And it's, it's kind of America's rolling front porch. But this rolling front porch is in continuous need of repair. Part of the problem we have right now is that we build more than we can maintain. And then we don't maintain what we've already built. Amtrak has a huge backlog of maintenance, around $31 billion for the Northeast Corridor alone. That's the popular Boston, New York, Washington, D.C. route. New Jersey Congressman Don Payne, the Democratic chair of a House subcommittee in charge of rail, says major fixes are needed here. You know, that's 
us building another tunnel under the Hudson River in order to um, actually do repairs on the other two. Superstorm Sandy really ravaged them. A lot of salt water got into the tunnels. If you know anything about electrical equipment and salt water, don't mix. They don't mix, so. Making matters worse, ridership crashed in 2020. Face coverings are required on all trains and in train stations. Empty trains for over a year have further hampered Amtrak's revenue. Here's former Mayor Smith again, who sat on Amtrak's board from 1998 to 2003. Amtrak has been starved for assets. If we had spent as little on the interstate highway system as we have spent on the interstate rail system, you wouldn't be able to get across this country. Some of the difficulty in funding rail projects stems from Congress's yearly appropriations process. The Congressional Research Service found, quote, Amtrak's reliance on annual appropriations has made it difficult to fund long-term capital projects. Smith says he sees increased passenger rail as a way to take more cars off the road and reduce carbon emissions, as well as a way to stimulate a region's economy. You always have to shape your argument to your listener. So when I'm talking to um, elected officials, this is very much an economic development issue. If someone wants to talk environment, I can talk passenger rail and environment. Smith says funding for Amtrak isn't necessarily a partisan issue. He's found allies and fellow Republicans like Mississippi Senator Roger Wicker. Senator Wicker, big supporter of passenger rail in, in our home state of Mississippi because he sees the economic development potential there. And we did the hard work to say, what's our return on investment? Anybody will take a 15 to 1 return on your investment. This is a business deal. It makes sense. And what it does for the quality of life of the people who live there is just extraordinary. But to make Amtrak extraordinary will take big investments. Investments like the ones called for by the competing infrastructure proposals. Biden's initial infrastructure proposal called for an $80 billion investment in Amtrak. Republicans are aiming for a lower number. We have the White House with $80 billion. We have the Republican counteroffer of 20 billion. It's probably not gonna be either of those numbers if we have regular order and regular reauthorization and appropriation. It'll be something in between, but it will be more than passenger rail has seen as an investment at one time in the history of this country. At least one transportation expert is skeptical that any influx of money from the federal government would be worthwhile you're looking at minor improvements. So you might, uh, you might see some increased service. Uh, you might see some upgraded track. That's Mark Scribner, a senior transportation analyst from the Libertarian Reason Foundation. If, say, we get that $80 billion or even $20 billion that the Republicans counterproposed, um, it's more likely going to be just politically directed projects, not very efficient. And we're going to look at passenger rail in 20 years the same way we're looking at it today, which is that it is, it is uh, you know, it serves uh, very few people. It serves outside the Northeast Corridor, uh, and it's just, um, you know, it's not an important aspect of, of Americans' lives, the way that other modes of transportation are. What if there was an effective rail system that worked for people across the country? Amtrak has a long way to go, but one thing critics and advocates alike can agree on is that with Joe Biden in the White House, rail will be getting a lot more attention. I believe that the best days for Amtrak and for rail and for America are ahead. I really believe that. And I'm just confident. I'm confident we can get this done. Practice social distance and stand six feet apart. Thank you.
This is Thomas McKinless for the CQ Future Podcast. That report was from our Thomas McKinless. To discuss it and the big picture for Amtrak, we now have CQ Roll Call transportation reporter Jessica Worman. Thanks for coming on the show, Jessica. Thanks for having me. <laughs> well, COVID was obviously a huge blow to Amtrak. Are people coming back to rail the way they are plane travel? Um, it's coming back. I mean, you, it's coming back to a degree that's probably a little bit better than transit and a l- little bit worse than air. So it's somewhere in between, I think, both of those areas. But it's still, I mean, it's still on the comeback. So given that and, and the fact that, you know, we're indisputably a nation that loves to drive. Yes. Is there, is there a case? What is the case for investing in Amtrak? So, you know, Amtrak is kind of an interesting thing because both Democrats and Republicans, depending on the specific Democrat and Republican, really likes Amtrak or really doesn't. Um, it's a little like a farm bill, right? So if you have a rail, if you have rail in your district or if, you are, if you're in a medium-sized city and you have a, an Amtrak station there, then you love it. Um, Democrats really see Amtrak as kind of part of it part of sort of the larger picture of how to fight climate change in this infrastructure package. Remember, this infrastructure package looks to kind of re-envision what we do with our nation's infrastructure. Instead of just like providing a mode to get around, which is what we've traditionally done, it's also trying to fight climate change. And so they see rail as very integral to part to uh, how they get this done. Uh, Rail doesn't have the same level of emissions, they say. You know, they, they see Europe with its high-speed rail and China with its high-speed rail, and they think, man, this is really something we should be doing more of. So the, the argument has been, particularly from Democrats and President Joe Biden, known as Amtrak Joe, that this is sort of the way to go. Now, it's expensive. <laughs> we don't really have that kind of infrastructure, and it takes a lot of money, especially if you want to do um, high speed. So that's kind of, that's sort of the sticking point. You talked about how one of the reasons to go to trains, one of the part of the argument for trains is that they can help uh, forestall or stop climate change. Mm-hmm. Could the government make that case to a public that is increasingly receptive to it and bring in more ridership? I think the Democrats are making that argument. And part of their argument is, is if you build it, you can come. I mean, they look at something like the bright line from Orlando to Miami as some uh, sort of a test case for where people could really use trains as an alternative to getting in an automobile and sitting still and having to drive and pay attention for hours. Uh, and, the, and the argument is, you know, you do save emissions and trans, transportation is the largest source of greenhouse gas emissions in this country. So this would be an alternative. Now, the flip side to that is these projects take time and these projects take a great a great deal of money. And so in the time that you're actually building this and actually creating this project and standing it up, you know, the cars are still on the road. So it's so, I mean, you know, it's sort of a chicken egg thing, isn't it? Like, I mean, you know, do you build a more fuel efficient car first or do you go ahead and take the time to build these trains and these and these stations and build out the system that we have? So I'm wondering, you know, if we were to build a system more akin to what you find in Europe or or Asia, where the trains move fast and they get to get you to your destination on time, you know, might the people come? You know, if you build it, will they come? 
Well, and that's the argument, actually. You know, I talked to a guy from a think tank who talked about some of these private um, industries that are actually doing high-speed rail. There are high-speed rail projects in Florida. There's one that's going to be built from Las Vegas to Los Angeles. You've heard about the big California high-speed rail. That's not actually, that doesn't actually exist. But there are private corporations around America who have actually made a fairly successful case. One bright line is really been sort of the bright light, no pun intended. Uh, it has used existing roadway uh, from it's it's doing Miami up through eventually Orlando, and it actually has been doing. It's down because of COVID, but before the pandemic, it was actually doing a pretty reasonable business. And the business model that they use is this: they use existing right of way, they use uh, basically they build along a highway, so they don't have to buy people's properties. They don't have to go through this sort of level of development that you would have to with other sort of rail. So they're making a case that basically, you know, imagine you're in Miami and you want to go up to Disney World for the day. Well, that actually makes a case for people all around America who happen to be visiting Florida, that high-speed rail or that passenger rail is actually a good way to get around. But we like our cars in America. And if, if you want to actually do Amtrak right, you also have to be kind of multimodal. Once you get to the city, what do you do? I mean, with airports, you've got cars and you've got taxis. And you don't necessarily have that same sort of infrastructure put up around Amtrak. So that's kind of, that's sort of a complication that's additional to sort of, you know, actually building it. Yeah, what does the Amtrak cost and, and how is it paid for? I, my impression uh, is that, that the fares people pay, the fares riders pay, do not cover all of its costs. It's so fares do play, pay part of it, but it's it's primarily heavily subsidized by the federal government to the tune of you know one or two billion dollars a year. Um, now that's actually increased over the course of the coronavirus pandemic. Uh, Congress approved billions of dollars in addition to what it normally appropriates. And then in this infrastructure proposal, uh, President Biden has suggested $80 billion to uh, to basically build out, repair, um, possibly do a little bit of high-speed rail. That's a lot more than what Senate Republicans, for example, have requested or have suggested. They they suggest about $20 billion, either you know, whatever whatever the figure, I mean, they're looking at some sort of substantive increase in Amtrak and what they receive now in federal subsidies. Yeah, and so the the maintenance issue has been building for a long time in the same way that maintenance problems are plaguing the, the subway systems in Washington, D.C., in New York, in Boston, where old systems that have not been adequately maintained are now breaking down and they had reached really a crisis point as we were arriving at the pandemic. And now, oddly enough, the pandemic has opened up this the floodgates of federal money that we're in this new situation where they're actually, some of these longstanding issues might get taken care of. It's, it's quite ironic. Well, it's, it's interesting to see sort of the way the fortunes have changed so dramatically in a year. I mean, last year, Amtrak was wor- worried about furloughing workers. It was worried about, I mean, it had to close down and or dramatically scale back a lot of its, you know, its long-term, its long-distance routes. Uh, but this year, you know, there you've got Amtrak Joe in the White House, Secretary of Transportation Pete Buttigieg is another huge Amtrak guy. And so their fortunes have really changed very, very dramatically. So it's not a matter of whether they get money. It's a matter of how much money they get in this infrastructure package. Um, in terms of maintenance, yeah, they've got huge maintenance needs. The um, 
The thing that people think about is this gateway project in New York. Now, the Northeast Corridor is really where it's sort of like the bread and butter of the Amtrak system, right? That's where most people use Amtrak in this country. And a key part of that is this tunnel under the Hudson River, and it's falling apart. So they, so part of what they would like to see is to, to see this bridge Another set of tracks go underneath this bridge and then the existing tracks be repaired because the bridge, I mean, the tunnel, it was flooded during Superstorm Sandy. It's it's falling apart. I mean, really, it is. When we say crumbling infrastructure, I mean, this is actually crumbling infrastructure. Now, uh, we had a commentator from the Reason Foundation earlier in Thomas's setup piece. And they're a libertarian think tank. And the, their thinking is that you know, modes of transportation should stand on their own and pay for themselves, and it wouldn't make sense to pour money into something that isn't popular enough with the public to pay for itself. But you mentioned earlier climate change as one reason to fund Amtrak. Another reason I would think is that our roadways are pretty stuffed with cars, and this is a way of easing congestion, moving people. Um, you know, as a driver, it helps you if more people are on the rails, right? Yeah, I mean, it's harder. So we're on the East Coast, right? If you're in the heartland of America, maybe it's a little easier to envision making a trip by car. But if I am going from D.C. to New York, it makes just as much sense for me to take an Amtrak as it does. Actually, makes a little bit more sense because I don't have to deal with parking and I don't have to deal with the traffic issues. So for some parts of the country, it makes a lot of sense to have a passenger rail alternative. Now, the question is, to what degree does the rest of the country benefit from having a passenger rail alternative? The other um, argument that is made about this is if you're in a medium sized city that is not really served by an airport, Amtrak would provide an alternative to automobile for, for example, aging populations that might not feel comfortable driving a distance or people with disabilities um, or just really anyone who doesn't really want to do, you know, have to go to the nearest big city and make that huge drive and, and, and take a flight. That argument is that this could provide a viable alternative to, to, you know, to air service in these communities. Amtrak also carries freight, right? That's part of their business. Uh, no, freight is separate, but they do share the same tracks. So Amtrak is passenger rail strictly, and freight, um, a lot of times they say share the same right-of-way, which becomes a little bit of an issue in terms of um, making sure that Amtrak can you know, be available to take the passengers where it needs to go. Forecast here for me, if you could, where you think this is going. I mean, this infrastructure debate in Congress is very contentious. Republicans want to spend a lot less money. The taxes to pay for it are, are being hotly contested. How does this come out? I think we kind of see a little bit more of the same. I think we see some, some investment in, you know, some capital investment. Uh, I think it's hard to, to envision the sort of massive expansion of passenger rail in this country to the degree that we want. I mean, you can't do it with... $80 billion is a ton of money, but you still really can't do the things you need to do to create, for example, a big high-speed rail system in this country. Now, you can beef up and supplement what you've got, uh, but I just don't know that we get to 80. 80 is, a, 80 is a huge sum of money, particularly for you know a company that is profitable, for example, in the Northeast Corridor, but less so in the long-distance routes. So, um, I hate to predict status quo, but it sure is the easiest and maybe it's the laziest thing to predict. <laughs> but, uh, but I mean, I, in I Washington, see it, I mean, it's a safe bet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> status quo is always sort of this, if you're putting money on the table, put money on it, staying the same. Right. Um, 
But I, it isn't strange for me to envision the idea of some money in some of these rail systems that really do need to be updated. It's a little bit faster, but not full on fast. You're not getting on the bullet train in DC anytime soon. So Jessica, I've been lucky enough to to take the TGV in France, which is their high speed rail, and it's truly incredible. It, it gets you across the country in just a matter of hours. Um, and the the train was full. Um, very popular mode of travel there in Europe, and I, my understanding is the same is true in parts of Asia. Why is this just accepted as part of life, as something really important in other parts of the world, but it hasn't caught on to that degree here? You know, that's a great question. I mean, I would say that in Europe, for example, it's just not as, I mean, it's we are a very spread out country, right? We're huge. I mean, in Asia, they they do have this. They Asia is a little bit more comparable. It's sort of you know, it's laid out. It's it's far afield. In in Europe, it's less so. And I think a lot of it, quite frankly, it's cultural. I mean, I think culturally, we have a love affair with our cars. We have basically since the advent of the automobile. And I think that's been the thing that people have felt more comfortable using to travel in the distances that, you know, I mean, not in the long distances cross country, that's obviously where you fly. So I just, you know, there's sort of a love affair with the idea of trains, but I just don't know. I just don't know that it's been in uh, in sort of widespread use in our country. I mean, it's just not been the day-to-day thing we've used because we've been so reliant on the automobile. Jessica, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. That's all for this episode of CQ Future. I'm Sean Zeller. Joanne Levine and Evan Campbell produce this show. You can find all of our podcasts at rollcall.com. Thanks for listening.